If you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to the epistle of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. And today is a praise, a hymn of praise, as Paul reaches the climax of his prayer, he ends with praise. Chapter 3, verse 21, verse 20 to 21. Hear the word of God as it comes to you this morning. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear God and Father in heaven, apart from your spirit aiding us this morning, we are practicing something futile. Apart from your spirit moving in our midst and convicting us of sin, and even saving those who do not know you, we are practicing something futile. It's a futile exercise. And oh Lord, thus we ask, may you pour out your spirit. May he apply this word to our hearts. May we be changed from the inside out. May we grow steadily in grace of the Lord, of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, being conformed in His image, for the expansion of Your kingdom and for Your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. Speak to us this morning. Amen. Well, friends, uh, we have been doing, going through. A journey through Ephesians. What we do here at BRBC is called expository preaching. We go through a whole book. Verse by verse, line by line, sometimes phrase by phrase. Hoping that God himself may speak to you directly through the preaching of his word, and through his word. And if, and if you have been with us, you know that last week we're looking at the prayer of Paul. We're looking at how the apostle Paul was, just the context of his prayer, the content of his prayer, and, and just what he was praying about. And the, the, the cause for this prayer in the context that we're in is that Paul was praying because he had just revealed the mystery of the gospel. 
And if you remember correctly, the mystery of the gospel is that the gospel has now been revealed. Previously, that which was hidden and that which was prophesied about has now come to pass. And the gospel has been, has been revealed and is being revealed to those who it has not come to or who have not had the privilege of sitting under good preaching or hearing the gospel being proclaimed to. We do know that there are so many tribes, even in our nation, who the gospel has not gone to. And this is what the Apostle Paul was praying for. And so after the Apostle Paul has revealed these theological truths and, and prayed to God, we now see what we call a hymn of praise. From verse 20 to 21, it is called a doxology. Let me say that again. Verse 20 to 21 is a doxology, which simply means to praise. He is praising God. Paul usually does this in his letters. If you read his letters, he tells you theological truths about God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Da, 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 God has done this, God will do this, God has done this, and then afterwards he praises. That is why when we began the service, in, I read the doxology in Jude. Jude, after telling the listeners to contend for the faith and to, to, to avoid or to mark or to call out false preachers and teachers, he says at the end, now to him who is able to keep you. That's the doxology. He's praising God. He to him who is able to keep you. The praise is not to the person. The praise is to God. And that is the hymn of praise that the Apostle Paul is doing here. And friends, let me say this. We only praise God because of what we know about him. If you do not know God, you cannot praise Him. Theology should lead to doxology. So, for example, there are some people who are prosperity-oriented. That's their theology. And what is their doxology? Claiming for a car, for money, for a spouse. I'm claiming my blessings. I'm reaching for... Uh, all these useless things which are not really amplified in the scriptures. When you read the scriptures for what they are, you will be able to praise God like the Apostle Paul did. It's like saying, after listening to a good sermon, a sermon that has really been applied to your heart, what you sing afterwards is the doxology. You are responding in praise. So the Apostle Paul is responding in praise. 
He's responding to the truth that has been revealed through the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery that has been revealed that the Gentiles can now receive the gospel. You and I here in Zimbabwe can read this word and understand it. Previously, this was not revealed. We didn't have the privilege. Now, each and every one of us has the privilege of owning a Bible, of reading the word, reading the content, the content, and understanding what God has to say to us. And as the reformer said, sola scriptura, by scripture alone, salvation is by faith in Christ alone, by the scriptures alone. You cannot know the truth of God without the scriptures. You cannot. So what is Paul praising God for in this doxology or hymn? The first thing is that Paul is praising God for who he is. And the second thing is Paul is praising God for what he is able to do. And the last thing in our text this morning, in, this, in these two verses, is that God, uh, Paul is praising God because God is eternal. So, who God is, what he's able to do, and that God is eternal. Let's see first the first point. For who he is. Starts there in the phrase in the word of God. Now to him. Who is able. To do. Far more abundantly. Than all that we ask. Or think. According to the power at work. Within us. Paul starts by saying. Now to him. Who is he talking about. There is a, a lot to be said about this topic. And we can preach a whole series about this. But the first question which I can ask us or ask each other is, Who is God? Because Paul says, now to him. Who is he talking about? It's obvious that he's talking about God. So, the question that I would like to ask us this morning is, who is God? In actual fact, who is this God? And friends, let's not make any mistake about it. This Apostle Paul knew who God was because he was saved by God. God graciously saved him from sin and therefore then he responded by faith. And that faith was a gift of God as well. In a world where truth is relative, where even truth is pluralistic, there are two, there is no one truth. So in other words, there are people who say, there are many ways to get to God. Which is why you've got so many churches springing up. Because they think that they've got the answer. Say, I isusu toyeda kunamwari. Or 
Or some people say, I'll go to God because I'll go to God because of my ancestors. Don't And that way I can go to God. I can get to God. We also live in a world that is universal. Where people say truth is what you make it. Everything is truth. The Jew, Judaism is true. Allah, Muhammad, all these Muslim people, when they come and present the um, Islam, they say that is true. Hinduism, they say that is true. So who is God? Why is this God so unique? The God of the Bible that we worship. Well, he's unique because he's living. He's unique because he sent his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die. And the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a carved image. The Lord Jesus Christ is not cre created by human hands. He's not created by our imagination. The resurrection actually happened. And there's so much evidence of that. The scriptures speak for that. And that's the truth. Christianity is absolute. Christianity is true. And that's why we believe in the superiority of Christ. The supremacy of Christ over everything. People will say, you're boasting. You're not gracious. How can you say that? But that's the truth. Christ is superior over idols. Over your carved images. Christ is superior. Throw away those idols. Destroy those carved images. They are useless to save. Paul, that's why Paul could confidently say, now to him who is able to keep you. Him who God. He's the only one who's able to keep you. All these other things fail. All these other things fall short. All these other things cannot be God. They make useless gods. Whatever it is, can be, uh, you can be reading a tar those tarot readings or reading the stars or, or doing some sort of superstition. You wake up in the morning, you, you, maybe you put a gold skin bangle and you say, this is my lucky charm. Throw that useless thing away. It's useless to say. It can't save you. Hear the word of God. Look at what God says about this. Isaiah chapter 41 verse, 20, verse 21 to 24. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things. He's saying, he's saying let your idols tell us what, is the few, what was in the past. 
Let your idols tell us what is in the future. Tell us what, what is to come and hereafter. That we may know that you are God's. Do good or, or do harm. That we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, verse 24, you are nothing. And your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. Friends, the Bible forbids speaking to the dead, forbids idolatry. There is only one God, one in three, three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We must be dogmatic about that. Even if they call you names and say, oh, these Christians, we must be militant about the truth. Ask yourself one question. You go out there and you see my apostle in the sun, burning their skin. They are dogmatic about what they believe. These charismatic preachers going around telling people about cars and claiming and whatever. They are dogmatic. The, the Jehovah's Witnesses are, are risking to be mocked for a cult, for falsehood. What about you? What about you and I who know the truth of God? How much more should we be dogmatic? And that's why Paul praises God for who he is. Because he knows. And we shouldn't lose the context here. We shouldn't lose the context in that when Paul wrote Ephesians, the, the, there was a temple there, a temple of, of, of uh, prostitution, the temple of Diana, where they came and worshipped the fertility goddess. And they had a god for everything, a god for everything. Fertility, rain, just like here, where by here people say, I ain't a gonna That type of thing. That that is what was very uh, prevalent in those days. And Paul is saying, in, in light of this, now to him who is able, forget about your idols. They're worthless, they're useless to save. I am praising the eternal God. I am praising the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other God I am praising. And that is how Christians should be. We should be standing on the rooftops and saying, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. This is false. This is useless. This will not save you. You need the God of the Bible. You need salvation. You need to be saved. You need to turn from your worthless ways and your ways of futility and turn to the, the true and living God who, can, who is able to do far more abundantly. Can your God save you? No. Can your superstition save you? Uh, no. How many people can say they were saved by superstitions? Saved from sin? 
What, what can a witch doctor do? The only thing a witch doctor can do is tell you who is bewitching you and tell you to drink some herbs and tell you to practice witchcraft and all you ever do is that things will pile up one above the other, sorrow after sorrow. There's no joy. There's no freedom. You pierce yourself with many griefs. Here's a question for you, friends. Do you know this God? Are you free from the shackles of, of idolatry? The culture of the day? The pullings of the culture of the day? Paul praises God. He says, now to him. Who is this him? It's God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God but me. I will equip you for battle, though you have not known me. Isaiah 45, verse 5. God, friends, is eternal. As I said earlier on, he has no beginning and no end. He is immortal. He cannot die. He is omnipotent, omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is all-knowing. He's all-seeing. You cannot contain God. You cannot run away from God. And thus, you have no choice but to bow to the King of Kings. And friends, we always say this every week, almost every, every knee shall bow. You cannot escape the judgment of God. God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is either your redeemer or he is going to be your judge. One of the, one of the other. <clears throat> you are either in him and he's your redeemer or you're you are, you are either outside of him and he's your judge. There's, <clears throat> there's, there's no two ways. Uh, sorry, there's no two ways to the truth. And not everything is true. The truth is absolute. Deuteronomy 32 verse 39. See now that I am he. There is no God besides me. I bring death and I give life. I wound and I heal. And there is no one who can deliver me, deliver from my hand. That's God. There is no one who gives Life and takes life. Friends, let's think about death for a moment. Death is something mysterious. In that one minute you are alive. I can see you, you are breathing. I can see you, you are, you are eating, you are having fun. And the next moment you are lifeless. Your body is in a casket. Your soul has gone to wherever is meant to go. Now ask yourself one question. Who has the power to do that? I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait for the idols to, to spring their heads up and say, we, we do this. No idols can do that. No idols give. Idols are worthless to say. 
The point two is that Paul is praising God for what he is able to do. That's verse 20b. Listen to the word of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. <clears throat> we see Paul at the apex of praising God, at the top of the mountain as it were. He points out that God not only can do much, God can do much more. He can even do much more than much more. He can even do much more exceedingly abundantly, more than you can think or ask for. Listen to that. More than you think. We're talking about, we're talking about comprehending who this God is. Paul is saying God can do abundantly, exceedingly, above and beyond, more than we can think. So what you are seeing here in this environment, the birds chirping, the birds flying, the, the clouds and the trees and whatever, God can do more than that. And it's not only just more, it's exceedingly. Exceedingly more. And that word is, is called, it's hyperic perusu, which is an adverb. It is only used in, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. That is where it is only used in the Bible, apart from this. It just means that God can do far much more than can. There is no limit to what God can do. Even before he gets to what we ask or think. I'm just talking about what, what we think, what we perceive. God can do more. And friends, I want, us, I want to pick your brains for today. I, I want to play with your minds a bit. When we think about the world that we're living in, who is running the affairs of the world? So for example, a tree is sprouting in Argentina right now. Who is causing it to sprout? A baby is dying somewhere. Right now, somebody is with pain. We are only limited to this place because that's where we are. But there's other things that are being done outside of what we, what we know. And this is because God is, is infinite. He's far beyond what we can perceive or think. He is bigger than what our mind, even the words I'm using, cannot even describe who God is. That's what Paul is saying. He's praising him for what he can do. And what God can do is far more exceedingly abundant. 
Listen to the word of God from Job chapter 38, verse 12 to 13. You remember when Job, after questioning God, God now answers Job. He says to Job, Have you commanded the morning since your days began? <laughs> you know, when Job was busy complaining about his problems, Oh God, I'm righteous. Oh God, why have you done this to me? And you know how God responded? God responded to him by saying, Listen, have you ever commanded the morning to come? You are crying about these small problems that you have. When I was studying this, I thought to myself, I should never complain. I have no right to complain about anything. Because all my problems, I don't care what they are, are small in comparison to who God is. All my problems are small and they're minute. And, and, and they don't even deserve the utmost attention. They don't. Because God asked Job, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked shaken out? What makes you wake up in the morning? Who sustains your every breath? Right now you're breathing. Your heart is pumping. Who is doing that? What is stopping a holy God from taking your life away? You have eaten. Well, some of you. Who provided the food? Who provided the clothing that you have? The place of sleeping when you retire to bed at night and you say, I'm going to sleep. Even some of you who be on your phones and you're playing WhatsApp, whatever, whatever. Who has given you that phone? Who has provided that phone for you? Paul is saying, this is the God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or think. And we have to have a proper context. And the proper context is Paul is talking about salvation. Salvation for the Gentiles and for the Jews now. So he's saying that all, uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. According to the Holy Spirit that is working in believers. He is able to do much more than you ask. Because you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Let me ask you a question. How deep are your prayers? What do you pray for? If God is able to do abundantly more than we can ask for in terms of salvation, how deep are your prayers? I'm not talking about uh, deep in words or, or even trying to untwist God by jargon 
or even trying to claim or speaking loudly or shouting or ranting or chanting, rabbi, whatever. That, that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about knowing who God is and reaching the depths of the depths and the heights of the heights with our prayers because we know that he can do abundantly more than we can ask for and we have seen it because he has saved people from sin. All these witnesses, all these people you know who have saved, who have been saved from sin, who have, been, who have come to the saving knowledge of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are being gathered up from all corners of the globe by God, he is able to do far exceedingly abundantly, more than that. Do you ask for more from God in terms of salvation? When we pray about our family salvation, Lord, please save my father. Do it, O oh God. Don't even stop with my father. Go further. Save all my family members because I've seen you do it. I've seen you saving people. Or for instance, when you, when you think about our own evangelism, our personal evangelism, we tend to uh, feel sorry for God and even doubt God. Say, ah, God, ah. You know, that one is a bit too sinful. That one is a bit too sinful, so I, 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 I will avoid them. I won't tell them the good news about the gospel, about the Lord Jesus Christ, because I, I don't understand. Or even when you meet a windy, say, okay, let me share the gospel. Let me share the gospel. Because Paul understands that God can do this should change our prayer lives friends our prayer lives should be not ordinary should not be flat should not be boring or trivial praying about you know I need shoes <laughs> uh, new shoes and a new t-shirt Or if you say, oh God, uh, please help me. My wife is annoying me. That's useless. Our prayers should go as deep as our theology. What is stopping you from praying those prayers that we see from the Apostle Paul? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, for in this world that we're living, those are stupid prayers, right? You're too spiritual. Be real. Go down to our level. Please be, please be normal. <laughs> That's what people say. When you pray, say, oh God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. People say, no, no, those are too deep prayers. Be practical. Huh? That's what they say. But that's what Paul is not. Paul is not talking about food here. <laughs> Paul is not talking about clothing. This man is in prison. He's arrested. He's on house arrest. <laughs> He's chained to a Roman guard. And he's saying, now to him, he breaks in praise. Friends, we should praise God. We should praise 
God the way the Bible prescribes. Not, not praising God the way we feel is appropriate. Most people say they praise God, and I would argue with you, they don't praise God. They are praising what is unknown. It's almost like what Paul saw in Athens, where it was written, to the unknown God. That's what they are praising, not God. They are praising self, they are praising money, they are praising, they are worshipping all the idols that are available and have been carved by the world. Praising self, praising entertainment. They're not praising God. They're not praising God who is able to do more abundantly than we can ever. And the last point, friends, is that Paul praises God because he is eternal. Verse 21, to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations. And there's the phrase, forever and ever. Amen. Yeah? We like, uh, when we pray, I think for most people, their favorite phrase is, Amen. <laughs> That's their favorite. It, it, it signifies that the prayer is done. The man has stopped praying. Let me rush to what I was to what I'm supposed to do. Let me go back to the world. You have disturbed me from what I was doing. Let me go back to the world. And in this instant, friends, this is a prayer to say amen to. Most of them, that word amen means I'm agreeing. I am affirming that this is true. I am affirming that this is exactly as it is meant to be. And let it be so. But we just say amen to it. <laughs> We just say, friends, there are some prayers that I don't say amen to. You pray, you pray, you pray. If your prayer is not biblical, I won't say amen. If your prayer does not make sense, I won't say amen. And this is a prayer that we must be saying amen to. Now to him be the glory in the church. Paul is saying that this God who is eternal, to him be the glory in the church. In his church that is full of Gentiles <coughs> and Jews. And people who have come from afar. He's saying to him be the glory in the church. In Christ Jesus. Throughout all generations. Forever and ever. That phrase throughout all generations. Signifies that in every age. 
There are people that God is drawing to himself. He's not talking about everyone in the world or all generations that have been passed, that have passed. No, he's talking about all God's people, all God's elect in all generations. Those are the church. That's the church. So you and I, if we are Christians, we are part of this. And throughout generations forever and ever, God is eternal. It means that He is everlasting, having no beginning <clears throat> or no end. And Psalm 90 verse 2 tells us that God, before the mountains were born, or were brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's eternal. That's what Paul is praising. Have you ever praised God for his eternity or his eternality? That God is eternal? Have you ever said, God, eternal God and Father in heaven? That's how we should be starting our prayers. He's eternal. It's not, it's not like we're praying to a carved image. Say, oh God, just help me, Jesus, you know. <laughs> kind of like how these fancy people pray. Yo, God, I just love you, you know what I'm saying? Just help me with that house. Yo, God, I'm just claiming this. <laughs> hey. huh? Like God is a buddy or a clown. What is it? He's eternal. We should be praying eternal Father, eternal God in heaven. Because you have no beginning, you have no ending. You are not like us. We have a beginning. We were created. We were fashioned. Eternal God. Friends, we this 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 doxology must be the way we respond to who God is. This should form <clears throat> or be part of our worship, which is ascribed to God. We must, we, we must forsake shallow worship, shallow praise, shallow adoration. Even our songs that we sing to God must be high, high-end theology. Don't be afraid to say we don't sing all these happy, clappy, shallow songs. Because they're not worshipping God the appropriate way. We must remember that God is eternal. He's immortal. He's infinite. And He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. That whoever so believeth will not perish and have eternal life. But they have eternal life. 
If you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are heading to hell. If you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are perishing. If you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot worship Him like Apostle Paul did. You can't. You cannot worship God, the God that you do not know. And so I implore us today, this morning, if you do not know Christ, turn from Him, turn from sin, and turn to Him. And you will be granted repentance, and you will be granted the gift of faith. The Bible says that no one who goes to Him will be disappointed. If you go to the Lord Jesus Christ in all earnestness, you will be saved. With the aim to be saved, you will be saved. If you go for prosperity, for money, for cars, you won't be saved. Turn to Christ today. Amen.